Welcome to the Indistinct Chatter Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Ruth, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Bridget McNamer, the founder and chief navigation officer of Sidecar Council. Good afternoon, Bridget. Good afternoon, Kevin. It is a delight to be here. Well, I have seen so much activity from from you on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and it's dovetailing so nicely with a lot of the other movement I'm seeing now around women in education. I just interviewed a couple of folks yesterday about that, and it's a great time for this work, and you're doing such impactful work for people, helping them, counseling them, and I see these testimonials. Obviously, I've seen them on your website, but people have been commenting uh, as well on, on social media And I'd love to just jump right into this and say, why is this work so important and so right now? Well, thank you. First of all, I'm blushing. Thank you for that um, (laughs) nice introduction. And uh, (laughs) so it's a podcast. Otherwise, otherwise you'd see the blush. Um, Yeah, you know, I feel like we're in a zeitgeist. Uh, It just feels like this is a moment um, where focus on women, women in leadership, women in leadership in international education just seems to be bubbling up. And, um, uh, you know, I think that's not um, due to lack of it being a focus before, but I think um, there are a few sort of uh, aspects of the current atmosphere that are raising the profile. And I'm gonna point to a couple really specific things. Um, One is obviously COVID. (laughs) Um, And the other, just for a little preview here is, um, well, I'm gonna say attacks on the other in this past year. Um, So just starting with COVID, you know, we're still we're still at it. Gosh, it's exhausting, but we're still at it. Uh, but I think that COVID has really underscored, highlighted, bolded the enormous cracks in the current school leadership paradigm. And this is a paradigm that's predicated on a hierarchical system with a white Anglo-American male leader at the helm who has no personal life or family caregiving responsibilities. I think what we're seeing is burnout. Burnout is real. Burnout, because the role of school school leader in its current iteration is untenable. It doesn't even work for white males when it's put to the stress test. And I think COVID has been the biggest stress test we can imagine. This is going to lead to an exodus of leaders. So from a practical perspective, we simply need greater volume of leaders. And that's regardless of gender, race, or other superficial differentiating factors. But we also need to rethink this whole leadership paradigm whose fault lines have been exposed by COVID. And that's where it's going to be especially helpful to have the attributes of women and people of color who bring different perspectives, different lived realities to the role of leader. And those are perspectives that are incredibly relevant to today's world and to what's coming in the future. So that's one thing. The other, I'm gonna just say the attacks on the other, and this might really be coming mostly from the North American perspective, but I think it's happening um, in various ways. It has in the last year all over the world. So the murder of George Floyd last uh, May was a real catalyst here. Um, Harassment and killing of people of Asian, mostly female Asian descent in the last year the murder of Sarah Everard in England, those were all born out of damaging biases that can be counteracted in schools. And that really starts at the top. 
So a couple of points to make here. Schools are first institutions for most children. It's not only where they pick up their ideas of their place, of their acceptance, of their opportunities in larger society, but it's also where they learn what leadership looks like and what it acts like. So seeing is believing. And when children are exposed to a range of faces and of voices in leadership roles, they get the message that leadership is open to everyone. It's not limited to a certain prototype. Uh, so those are those are two places where we can start this conversation, Kevin. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, and I mean that I mean that really favorably. I mean, I have been madly scribbling down notes while <laughs> while you've been while you've been speaking uh, because you've, I think, Bridget, you've really articulated very well a lot of. Uh, and you use the word zeitgeist, which I think is incredibly appropriate here. Um, you're really articulating it well and bringing it together in concise terminology that we can use to talk about things such as the exodus of leaders, uh, the notion of attacks on the other. Um, what I really took away from this as well is there's a, we're at an inflection point around not not just the the paradigm of leadership itself, but underlying it and feeding into it leadership development. Mm-hmm. And and I have to wonder aloud, and it's this is just a conversation, but mm-hmm. I wonder if to date the leadership development offerings and practices that have been present in the K to twelve international school community mm-hmm. have been feeding and upholding, perhaps unwittingly. Mm-hmm. Um, that this this paradigm and and supporting it in its exacerbation. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I'm not I'm not saying this is a causal relationship, mm-hmm. but I just wonder if because it operates within the same paradigm, yeah, if it's an enabler rather mm-hmm. than a catalytic game changer. Yeah, no, I think you've really hit on something that I've been giving some thought to, too. And I um, I do see that leadership development and leadership training does tend to reinforce the current untenable status quo. And I think the message it sends, you know, implicitly, if not, certainly not intentionally, is that for women to be successful leaders, they need to emulate men. Um, and that gets reinforced in all kinds of ways. Um, you know, uh, yeah, in all kinds of ways. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I feel that leadership training really needs to be womanized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I mean by that yeah. is let's talk about what does it mean to be a successful leader? Where are the what are the assumptions that go into that? Um, where are the uh, indicators um, that that is de facto true? Like, why do we accept that as the only way to be a leader? Where is there evidence that there are other ways of um, thinking about leadership and what is successful leadership? Um, and then where you know uh, where do women fit into that? Um, so, so I think there's a lot that can be done just in general, uh, to think through what leadership training might mean and how it can be womanized. Um, 
And then there are some very specific um, areas where, uh, you know, I think that women and not just women, actually, but um, uh, where there can be more of a specific emphasis on certain aspects of the role of leadership. And I'm thinking about things like finances. I'm thinking about things like governance. I'm thinking about things like, you know, working with um, um, different legal systems in different countries. You know, women, when they're going uh, through the leadership pipeline, they're very often um, really focused on teaching and learning, which is essential. And they're not making as much room in their day and in their leadership development for these really specific things that um, are critical if you're going to be a senior leader or certainly a head of school. So I think we need to see a lot more of that and a lot of intentionality and in making sure that women and you know really any aspiring leader is getting really specific training on these kind of hard, hard skills. <laughs> um, and then there's a whole other realm around the softer skills. Um, so I'm gonna just pause there and see uh, where where you go with that, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, well, it's in many ways, I look at the nature of leadership development itself. Again, leadership development within the extant paradigm. Mm-hmm. And there have been some some really good pushbacks against that, saying, you know, we know that there are ways to do this better, and here's what they look like. I, I think of the work of Deborah Rowland uh, out of the UK, for instance, who I think it was in 2016. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the right year. 2016 published an article in the Harvard Business Review and then had a few others that followed in that publication or others around, around rethinking leadership development and saying, okay, look, it's fine to have some theoretical underpinnings or some workshop type elements, et cetera. But much of this is going to, to be best driven by being deeply experiential. Mm-hmm. And so as you're talking about uh, um, womanizing leadership development, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good opportunity. And it's not just it's not just when a female current or aspiring leader is continuing to go through uh, leadership development, but you know, how do we ensure that if it's a, if it's a group-based activity, et cetera, that we that we restructure the inputs of that but at the same time, don't define upfront what the outputs are. Because mm-hmm. I think what you were saying about, you know, the white Anglo-American males having been in these positions for so long is that the outputs are predefined. That's, that's right. The, that's the sort of mindset currently. And so I think stop defining those outputs, but be really intentional about the inputs and then allow for uh, a certain duration of time. It's not a one day workshop. No, it's this is experience over time uh, in collaboration with others in the school to, as you were saying, finance, et cetera, get those other skill sets, whether those are hard skills, soft skills, Mm -hmm. and then say, what does that program look like? Weave it together, create time for reflection, implementation of something new, assessment of that, reflect again and move forward. I think we've looked at leadership development for far too long as a as a simple input output measure, like you go to these six workshops over the, over the next three summers and you know, you will be dubbed head of school. That's right. I just don't think that model works anymore. And I think that's what I hear you saying, but I'm just using different language. No, I, I think, I think you're right. I think um, you've said it in a way that I, um, 
I wouldn't have been able to articulate as clearly and beautifully as you have, but I, I think you, you get what I, <laughs> what I'm going, going for here. You know, I, I'm, there's a lot of just unlearning that needs to happen first. Mm-hmm. So I've been really influenced lately by Adam Grant and mm-hmm. his book, Think Again. Um, I think there's got to be a lot of thinking again when it comes to leadership training, when it comes to thinking about what is the role of leadership in international schools, uh, well, in any school, really, frankly, in leadership writ large. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, rather than take certain um, aspects about leadership as sacrosanct, let's take a step back and say, what does it really mean to lead? What does it really mean to be a leader? And um, how do we weave in the, the female um, experience and um, attributes uh, to that so that leadership uh, is, is seen more broadly um, and ultimately, I think, can serve to the benefit of all in, in the communities that are led. Um, rather than having these very specific paradigms, as you say, which, again, are then missing out on the experience and the attributes and the viewpoints and the, the real um, wisdom that women can bring to this as well. And what do you think as we've gone through, you started off talking about the pandemic, so let's just use that for a moment and, and mm-hmm. integrate that with this notion of leadership development. Mm-hmm. What? And, and I'm going to speak about you personally. So what have you personally learned during this time in terms of being able to work with other women leaders, either current or aspiring? And as you think about leadership development, mm-hmm. how has COVID shifted our recognition of, quote unquote, what is possible in terms of mixing face-to-face, hybrid, et cetera, as we do rethink this leadership preparation paradigm? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a lot There's a lot in there. Um, let's see. Where will I start with that? Um, so I really kicked off my, my coaching practice um, at the very early stages of COVID. And so I don't know another way. Um, I... You know, I, I, I was with Search Associates for seven years before that, and that's where a lot of what I um, bring to this uh, work that I do, that uh, it was my experience at Search that informed this. Um, but uh, my, my work with women has been almost entirely online, with the exception of um, a gathering this past summer, which was an in-real-life opportunity to bring women together. Um, and we, we met in Red Lodge, Montana. Um, 12 of us came together. These were from all over the world um, and women who just made the pilgrimage to meet up with other women and talk about womanizing the leadership landscape. So um, I think on the one hand, when it comes to leadership development, um, the reality is that uh, women, I think, can benefit more from this sort of online learning because of the the realities of being a woman leader, which is often accompanied by being a mother. Um, And so sort of the travel opportunities uh, are not always as available. Um, And so being able to do things online um, is, is tremendous. 
On the other hand, the um, <laughs> what happened in Red Lodge is something I would never have been able to foresee. I think just, uh, you know, not just thank God we can finally meet in person. You know, we were careful about um, COVID, of course, but there was something that just, um, it was sort of exponential. Uh, we, we came together, we had a very specific agenda, but there was something about the ability to feed off of each other's interests and energies and ponders um, that led to just some thinking that um, went beyond, I think, what any of us could have planned. And that's hard to do in an online space. So um, that's where I think the in-person part of leadership training um, really can't be replaced by yeah. online learning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's fascinating to note that uh, I think it was some among the first words you said in answering that question where you don't, in a sense, from a business perspective and having started the business, you don't know anything else. You started it in the context mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And I... Mm -hmm. I would argue that's an asset mm -hmm. uh, as we look at, you know, quote unquote, how we do life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you've started from that position, meaning I think you've got <clears throat> a wonderful understanding of the sense of flexibility that that provides, where I think if you've been in a more traditional um, counseling, guiding, leadership development uh, line of work, mm -hmm. and you did it only face to face before, that would have been a really hard shift. Yeah. For That's sure. Right. Mm -hmm. It would have been. Um, so I feel very lucky. I mean, I don't want to in any way imply that COVID is a good thing, <laughs> but I do mm. think that COVID has actually had some really positive silver linings, certainly for, for me and my work, but that's not what's important here. I think that um, COVID has, again, as I sort of led off this podcast, it's exposed the fault lines in the current leadership um, you know, model. Um, I think it has shown, um, really exposed how women, um, both the attributes that they bring um, that have been very, um, extremely valuable during COVID. So again, I don't like to draw this false binary of women and men. This is not mm. women versus men. This is female attributes. This is male attributes. They're all important. Um, but I think female attributes have shown up as being exceptionally valuable during COVID. And so those are things like collaboration. Those are things like empathy. Those are things like um connectivity. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think those are, are some of the attributes that have really helped certain school communities, um, you know, get through this in, in a really healthy way. Um, and so it's also, COVID has also shown, look, you know, uh, these attributes are great, but how could we free them up more? And when we're looking at a um, the role of leadership, which is often seen as an all in, you know, you've got to just prioritize your role as a school leader and, you know, these other aspects of who you are and what's in your life then has to have to get sacrificed. I believe strongly there is another way because I don't think men benefit from that either. Uh, you know, I think it's become the expectation, but who we are as, as people and as leaders Look, they, they get meshed together. <laughs> um, 
And so to feel like you have to sacrifice your role as a parent, or even if you're not a parent, but your role is just a person in order to, um, to fulfill your role as leader, uh, I, I think that's, that's unsustainable. And uh, I think that, that COVID through sort of demonstrating how that's gone for women um, might be doing the, the landscape of leadership a favor ultimately. Mm-hmm. Well, so using that as a segue, this this landscape of of leadership, mm-hmm. um, you alluded to it in your in your opening comments in our in our conversation. What would you identify as the barriers to more women in leadership? And I, I'd I'd add a little bit onto that question, which is when I think of leadership, I all, in schools I'm also thinking of governing bodies. And I brought this up a little bit yesterday in a conversation for a podcast as well. Yeah. So what are the barriers to more women in leadership and governance? In governance? And and governance. Oh, and so leadership governance. and governance. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with just women in leadership. Um, but I think, you know, uh, well, we'll see where that goes. So I think let's start with the rules of the road. So my my whole metaphor at Sidecar Council is um, adventure and um, leadership as being akin to being on a motorcycle on a mountain road. Uh, so it's adventurous, it's thrilling, uh, you can't always see around the corner. Um, and uh, very often, uh, if you think about somebody on a motorcycle um, and someone in a leadership role in an international school, you very often think of a male. So, it, you know, the rules of the road, um, whether it's motorcycles on mountain roads or leading in an international school, they were made by men with a male prototype of leadership in mind. Um, and so, you know, right off the bat, women are struggling with abiding by the rules of the road versus what I would say going off road or creating a new roadmap. Uh, and then it, that would be one that would reflect their leadership attributes, their realities, the real value they can bring to leadership posts. Um, so a lot of that is, is um, you know, just we have to rethink what those rules are. Um, related to that, the gatekeepers for access to these posts tend to abide um, by the original rules and assumptions on which they were based. Um, Another is just women's expectations of themselves. And these are based on cultural norms, cultural expectations. And too often they feel like they need to fit those norms and expectations and they have to shoehorn themselves in in order to, you know, achieve role, a uh, role as a leader. Um, I'm going to point to the role of men here. Um, so I see men reacting differently to this call for great, uh, greater diversity, greater equity in, in leadership. Um, some are getting kind of defensive, digging in their heels, sort of feeling like this is um, uh, an attack on them or something. I think many are rightfully puzzled about where this leaves them, uh, what they should do. Uh, But I see some jumping right in awkwardly, sure, um, because it's awkward to say they want to be a part of the solution. And the the reality is we need male leadership. We need male leadership. We need female leadership. We just need this male leadership in different doses, sometimes channeled in different ways and intermixed with other forms of leadership. So 
I'm seeing a real um, opportunity here as a school leadership community to help men help the help the rest of us. It doesn't serve any any of us to set up a false binary and say, you know, we've got to just push the male thing aside and just make room for women. Or if we're going to open it up more broadly, um, you know, white male Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, uh, we need all of us. We need all of us, but we need we need the the prototype to take a, a bit of a step back and say, okay, well, how can I be part of the solution? Um, well, that 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 makes perfect sense, and, and let's use that. Um, and turn that sort of into a question. It'll still deal with uh, th these barriers, um, many of which may be paradigmatic in nature, which is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. what's, what's, what is happening currently to address these barriers? And, and how are you personally, through your work with Sidecar Council, mm -hmm. addressing these barriers? Mm-hmm. So um, I think there, the good news is that stuff is happening. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to just start with just, uh, again, at the gatekeeper role, um, I'm seeing more women in coming into those gatekeeper roles. So you referred earlier to governance. I think that is, um, that is a significant barrier and, um, something that we need to really address head on because I think that's where a, a huge part of the shift um, needs to happen. I, so th that's where the, I think the number one <laughs> gatekeepers are those at the governance level. Um, but when I'm talking about gatekeepers, I'm seeing at least people in recruiting agencies, there are more women in recruiting agencies um, as, uh, you know, as consultants for leadership searches. I'm seeing more women, you know, getting into headships, and that's ultimately going to help crack the governance piece of this. It's going to take, I think, a little too long unless we really go full-throatedly at, at boards and ownership structures. Um, but I want to keep on the good news. So then just the appointment of Laura Light to the headship at AIE, um, you know, I think it's that sort of thing where we see more women at that level. Um, we've got, you know, Liz Duffy at ISS. We've got Jane Larson at CIS. Uh, so I think we're seeing more and more female faces uh, heading up these organizations, these institutions. And I think that is going to allow more women to see themselves um, as belonging. Um, and so that that itself is huge. Um, I see more emphasis on this topic in the traditional sphere. So. Um, when I say that, I mean, you know, again, the ISSs of the world, the Carney Sandos, the ECISs, these entities are taking this issue around women in leadership head on, uh, doing, you know, webinars and seminars and, um, and really trying to, you know, go, go head on to this to topic. And then there are alternative or sort of grassrootsy efforts to present different approaches and to really kind of poke at the prevailing ways of doing things. So for example, um, ALOC, okay, that is mostly about, you know, people of color. And that is also just, you know, those that have been underrepresented. So 
uh, ALOC, I'm seeing hashtag women ed, which is a lot of grassrootsy networks of women in leadership around the world. Um, Raise Her Up, a book that's coming out soon that will that is really about women in educational leadership. Um, again, trying to profile um, uh, women who have been in these roles and what their stories are and what to learn from that. Um, that's what I'm about at Sidecar Council is to try to explore other avenues and to, uh, I, I mean, I mostly work for, uh, or you know, most of my time is spent with individual coaching clients. So helping them to better understand what their, um, what their purpose is, what their real attributes are, what they can bring to leadership, not try to shoe themselves, shoehorn themselves into um, a male model of that. Um, but I also am doing monthly meetups, you know, small groups of women leaders who can come together and puzzle through some of these issues about women in leadership together and mutually support each other. Um, I hold, you know, regular monthly, uh, what I call salons now that take some of these issues around women in leadership and, and it's not about instruction around it so much as let's talk about it. Let's see what different people's experiences have been, um, whether that's around negotiating a contract or this coming Sunday, I'm talking about imposter syndrome. Um, you know, our upcoming ones will be around finance or, hey, you know, a big issue for, for women that men need to know more about is menopause. Um, it's it's a big issue for women in leadership because by the time they're at their peak of leadership, that's also when many are hitting menopause and that's a real thing. And so um, we have to be able to address some of these things head on. So um, I'm, I'm trying to approach it from this kind of um, outside perspective um, and see how can we how can we poke at this sort of traditional traditional way of thinking about leadership and where are the soft spots where are the you know ways of going around back roads and uh seeing seeing how we can um change change the dialogue and change the expectations well there's there's a lot there for for us to think about and as you were talking it sort of uh, brought to the forefront of my mind, although it's it's been there on and off throughout our conversation, that is, as much as the extant paradigm for leadership has been around and informed by and perpetuated by um, white male Anglo-Saxon uh, perspectives on this, um, with, with what's happening now with the movement around women in leadership development, you know, I wonder whether some people might say, well, that this is also what's happening is still a position of, of like white privilege, you know, so it's not just about white Anglo-Saxon males, about white, white, white Anglo-Saxon females. Mm -hmm. How do we ensure a much more equitable approach? And we're still staying within this paradigm of women in leadership. Um, how do we, do we, you know, are there opportunities for collaborations, for example, with ALOC or how does one begin to weave a tapestry that brings together sure. uh, more voices and perspectives in this crucial work about more women in leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. There needs to be collaboration. So I do not see this as um, 
you know, siloed in any way. Um, I want to talk about it in a couple of ways. Number one, when I um, focus on women, I'm thinking about the fact that more than 50% of our school communities are female. Um, and yet, <laughs> and yet, uh, when you get to these higher echelons of leadership, you know, we've got 28% heads of school are female. Um, like, why does, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? Why did that ever develop that way? Um, so the fact that, so, so, okay, there's that, that piece of it. Um, then there's the whole underrepresented things. Women are not minorities, um, but people of color have been minorities in these schools. Um, um, people on the LGBTQ, there are other uh, different ways of <laughs> going with that acronym, um, are tend to be minorities. And again, this is not a me, uh, me saying let's silo, but I am saying that that females are a majority in our schools, and yet our leadership reflects the minority of male. So, um, so I think that the issue is a very broad one. Um, I think that there are certainly intersectionalities between um, ways to better understand and bring into the room and uh, hear perspectives from and actively involve um, these underrepresented groups. I have been in communication with ALOC and with others. I learn from them all the time. They are doing tremendous work. And so, uh, you know, again, I think this is just going to sort of burst open more doors and more windows and we'll, we should all be learning from each other. And I'm just looking forward to being a part of adding to the learning and absorbing that learning. Well, you know, it's in many ways, one might argue that we are in a time of, of chaos mm -hmm. uh, and not just the pandemic, but even prior to that, there's just this sort of weird period of time in human history where we are at the moment. And I think from an Eastern philosophical perspective, the, the nice thing, if you will, about being in a period of chaos is that it precedes a period of order. So we are work as much as it may seem messy at times and lacking any degree of clarity at times. It's nice to know that from a cyclical perspective, we will be coming to a point of order or harmony mm -hmm. out, out of the chaos. So much of the work that's going on here that, that you're talking about, you're referencing is actually beginning to highlight or to point out what that North Star is mm -hmm. to give us directionality and purpose. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's, mm -hmm. I think it's just good to keep that in mind. Um, yes. As much as it's easy enough to feel the frustration and, and rightly so. Yes. That happily this is pointing us somewhere. So I just certainly want, you know, listeners to keep that in mind. That Absolutely. We really Kevin, have and to I want, zoom out and look. <laughs> I want to jump in on that because Please. I think it's very easy to get get swept up in the injustice. You know, and again, 
yeah, it can feel so frustrating to be on the end of feeling like not a victim, but someone who has not been a beneficiary of uh, hmm. this sort of um, uh, traditional um, way uh, of being. I don't like to dwell in that for very long. I like to go for what are the what are the beacons of light? What are the uh, what is the north star? What's a shared vision that we can come up with that serves everyone well? And I don't think that needs to be Pollyanna-ish. I think that does not need to cover up the you know serious historical injustices and the frustrations and the uh, you know and, and all of all of those rather more you know negative experiences. But I don't want to dwell there very long. I, I, I want to say, okay, um, what is a shared vision? What is what is a what what's the end goal that we can all agree is worth shooting for? And then we can try to get more alignment. Let's look for commonalities. Let's look for ways that we can, you know, work together and support each other. Um, that's where I want to go. Yes. Well. As we as we look to wind this down, um, you know, obviously we've referenced uh, the name Sidecar enough times throughout the conversation. Sidecar Council, mm -hmm. SidecarCouncil.com, for example, is your website. Yes. And you've talked about um, the rules of the road, and you've talked about it's like being on a motorcycle on a mountain road, which is quite, of course, curvy, and you can never quite see around the bend on way too many occasions. Mm -hmm. And one would be scared to death to go off road or what skiers would call off piste. <laughs> why, why the sidecar metaphor? Why, why do you feel that that really helps mm -hmm. uh, to explain what you see and what you're doing? Yeah, thanks. Well, because I, I, I feel that those who are in the driver's seat are the ones with a lot of courage um, to be in a leadership role, you know, j just calls on the leader to be courageous. And um, so I see my my role as is being the guide in the sidecar. So I am there to um, help check the GPS because you better keep your eyes on the road. Um, I am there to look for those off-piste signs <laughs> on your behalf. Um, I am there to help you see a horizon that maybe you do not see as well because you've got your eyes on the road. Um, I'm there to help you maybe see a bit through the fog that's ahead. Um, and uh, I hope with some good companionship, um, I, I hope as a, a cheerleader for you. Um, and uh, I try to bring snacks for the soul along the ride so that you're, you're feeling that nourishment too. So um, that's the sidecar metaphor. Snacks for the soul. I think that's a, a little ebook. That has to be forthcoming. Ooh, ooh, okay. You heard it here. You, you heard it here, note, Kevin. Do take note, listeners. Snacks <laughs> for the soul coming soon. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, well, Bridget, could you could you finish by telling what kinds of services? And you've you've alluded to them, obviously, but um, 
you call it a pitch, call it what you want, but, but mm-hmm. what are, what are the very discrete things that you do that, that listeners can find out if they visit sidecarcouncil.com? Yeah, sure. So, um, the, the, the core of what I offer are, are coaching, um, coaching services. So, um, these are either for women who are seeking leadership posts and I coach them through that process from the beginning of sort of distilling who they are and what they bring through the whole application process, how to look for jobs, um, how to prepare for interviews, how to prepare for the negotiation process of a contract, because yes, indeed, they will negotiate a contract. Um, and then, you know, down to the transitioning to a new role. I also coach, quote unquote, sitting leaders. So just those who are looking for some extra um uh, an outside perspective, let's put it that way, someone who can be there to really listen and uh, listen with the intent of um, sort of extracting what they're really struggling with and helping to uh, allow them to, to see other possibilities and way through, ways through some of the leadership challenges they're encountering. Um, so that's all on the individual level. I do group coaching again, these sort of monthly, um, meetups that I uh, described, you know, six, six women who come together once a month to help each other sort through, uh, leadership dilemmas that they're coming up with. Um, I'm offering, um, again, monthly, what I call sidecar salons, which are meant for a larger group of, of, uh, larger audience. Um, and again, these are opportunities to hear sometimes from experts and mostly just to, um, chat um, in a convivial, edifying atmosphere about um, about some of these um, these bigger ticket items that um, that can get in the way for women or help enable them. Um, and then I'm uh, doing I'm I'm planning on doing another couple of sidecar summits. So that's the yearly in real life gathering of women and really trying again to push at womanizing the leadership landscape. So, so far it's been largely focused on women. I really want to find the appropriate way to bring men into the conversation. Um, and so I'm, I'm keeping my, my eyes and ears and thoughts open to how, how that happens. So it's not if, it's a how. Fabulous. Excellent. Well, Bridget, I'm so glad you could join the podcast today. Uh, this has been, for me personally, a fantastic conversation, very, uh, warming i think is a really good descriptor of that very warming and and clarifying good thank you thank you i really appreciate um the the tone you bring to it your um really excellent questions and um what i can sense is a real passion to be be a part of the solution here (laughs) great So listeners, today we've been speaking with Bridget McNamer, the Founder and Chief Navigation Officer at Sidecar Council. Again, you can reach her at sidecarcouncil.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Indistinct Chatter podcast. And until next time, be safe and be well.